0: This week's episode is brought to you by the critically acclaimed drama Queen Sugar from Oscar-nominated filmmaker Ava DuVernay, executive producer Oprah Winfrey, and Warner Horizon scripted television. The series returns for season two with a two-night premiere June 20th and 21st on OWN. The Guardian says Queen Sugar is a sweet success, Essence raves that it is gorgeous in its honesty, and TV Guide magazine calls it powerful. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. (laughs) Welcome to Remote Controlled Varieties to Podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking about the final season of The Leftovers with Damon Lindelof and Justin Thoreau. Thanks for listening. I'm Deborah Burnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Damon Lindelof and Justin Theroux.
2: Hey, hi.
0: Hi, guys. How you doing?
2: Good. How you doing? Good. <laughs> so In, intimate it, microphone. <laughs> Intim- microphone
0: <laughs> intimate sources. microphone chat. We're trying yeah. to decide on the right move to talk about the right mood to talk about the leftovers finale. So it's been a couple of days. How are you guys feeling?
2: I feel very good. I feel very um, relieved to have it behind us. And Damon, down. how are you feeling? Yeah, I. Um, the the
1: the frequency that is that is basically placed upon you by others is it must be really bittersweet but I'm not experiencing the bitter part like it's all it's all feeling really
2: uh, complete and good and yeah. healthy and happy I was and melancholic yesterday. I, I mean, just because it, it it does feel like it was. There's passages for that for melancholy. Oh, good, good. I'll take that. It's a bad cough m- mixed with a sense of melancholy. It's just a but, sad yeah. baby. Nice, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did have that yesterday where I was feeling like you know, um, you know, it's sort of all you know. It's sort of when the storm passes over and you just feel like, oh, it's been. I've been yeah we went we're out done. For, we finally sort of you know we went out for dinner after
1: we had this this great screening of the finale, and then we did a panel and then we went out for dinner and there was a little bit of that feeling of like I just want to stay here forever, yeah like hello. it had the uh it had like the the last day of high school, yeah you know graduation vibe
2: exactly, and, but I'm yeah. excited about college last day of camp, yeah I am too, yeah, yeah, I think it's more just just knowing that we're not gonna you know we all may work together at some point again or we all may um uh, you know, we'll of course see each other again, but it just won't be in the capacity of this work environment. I'm retiring. Oh,
0: Good. don't say it. That's <laughs> no, not true. I don't believe you for one second.
1: <sighs> but that's the new thing, isn't it? In, in, in Hollywood, where you basically you use the word retire instead of taking a break. So Soderbergh is like, "I'm retiring." Is like he retired, and then he made like. You know, four seasons of the Nick yeah, and yeah. <laughs> uh, three movies, and then the girlfriend experience, and now he's ready to come out of retirement. <laughs> of course. So I mean it in the Soderberghian yeah, retire. Exactly. But,
0: yeah. Well, it's got to feel good to have a finale that was so well received. I don't think I've seen such rave reviews for a while.
1: Yes. It it's, nice. it's uncomfortable to talk about. And <laughs> <having Yeah>. Obviously, <laughs> a space that I'm not entirely yeah. familiar with. <laughs> yeah. so. Enjoy it. It's well yeah, deserved. Yeah. I, I, I definitely am enjoying it thoroughly.
0: Well, we already, you know, walking into this room, we were already debating on what, you know, what Nora was telling and whether or not it was the truth or not. I don't, are you guys in agreement on that? Start with a softball, Dad. I'm starting great. with a yeah. Start softball. 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 I'm coming, I'm coming in hard. Yeah, let's get um,
2: right to it. Let's get right to it. We, that was one of the things that we discussed at our dinner. Um, and I think the consensus that I felt happiest walking away from that dinner table with was it doesn't matter. Which is not uh, it's and it's not, um, it 's not it doesn 't matter in a, a don 't pay attention to it kind of way, I definitely have that discussion, but I think um you know the the, the beautiful uh, sort of placing the the end of our show on the head of a pin kind of thing was that you know these two people are in love, and that was the, that was kind of the consensus when we walked away f- uh, from dinner was. Um, we had the debate. We talked about it. Me and Damon, I think, share a, a similar viewpoint. Um, but, you know, hopefully what matters is that he's sitting at that coffee table, uh, kitchen table and she's sitting at the kitchen table, and um, and they've expressed what they needed to express. And hopefully, at least for that moment or some moments moving forward, uh, they're together and in love. Yeah, the thing for me is
1: I can only give the honest answer, which is, there has to be intention, right? You know, from from certainly from a writer's standpoint, like, well, you know, right? Whether or not she is telling the literal truth or not, because it's kind of a cop out to just say like, we wanted all things to be possible, and I think that our intention was absolutely clear when we wrote it. That said, I never had a conversation with Mimi, and I don't think Parada or, or any of the other writers did either. Who directed it? Here is whether or not Nora was telling the truth, and certainly no one had a conversation with Carrie either. She read the script, and I was sort of like, any questions? And she was like, no, is there anything you want to tell me? And I was <laughs> like, no. And so then she interpreted it. And so standing there on the set that day when Carrie performed it for the first time, and then again in the editing room, I went through probably a similar process that the audience does, which, you know, which is I think that it is actually critical that, um, that you question it. Um, and then you get to decide which, which way you want to come out the other side. But I think that there's a more interesting kind of meta-narrative, like the conversation that we're having now, right? So take Parada, wrote the book, and he does all the, the press for the book, and people ask him over and over again, but do you know where the departed people went? And, and Parada says, that's not something that I'm interested in. I, I don't know, but I don't I, I don't think that that's besides the point. And then when I first met him, I said, I know what you told all the reporters, but that's not really true, is it? And he said, yeah, it is. And I said, if we make this television show, people are going to ask us over and over again whether or not we're going to reveal it, whether we know. Um, and uh, he said, "We'll just do the same thing. And I said, it works slightly differently in this space. And he goes, well, we'll just... When when the pilot, uh, you know, when the show starts, we'll just tell them that we're never going to answer it and then they'll stop asking. And I said, no, they won't. They'll ask us all the way to the end. And I'll, I, I kind of remember a story... Um, Tom Speziali, who came on at the end of season one, asked uh, if I'd seen this, um, this movie that we've talked about before, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Mm-hmm. And it's a fictional story, but at the beginning of the movie, this card comes up and says, you know, back in the, you know, the turn of the century, these girls disappeared and, it, and nobody ever found out what happened to them. And then the movie starts. And, and so you kind of know I'm about to watch this movie and it's never going to be resolved. They showed this movie at con and it ended and everybody booed. And they asked the people who booed, why'd you boo? And they go, they didn't tell us. It's like, yeah, but the card at the beginning said that they weren't. And it was like, well, we didn't take the card at face value because we really wanted them to tell. And I felt like that was actually very informative because the idea that the show both had to tell but not to prove, you know. That felt like it was the it was the right leftovers space to to be in.
0: So, he, uh, Damon just said that Carrie didn't have any questions. Did you have any questions?
2: Um no, but I think that's just a matter of training. Uh, having been trained well by Damon early on, <laughs> it doesn't serve you to Shot really ask calling. those questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those <Someone> <laughs> questions, um, you know, and having been uh, given maybe too long a lead on uh, on on my being able to interpret it myself, being able to interpret many episodes in the entire series myself. Um, which uh, you know, occasionally I would I would tap him throughout the, the series and ask him sort of more specific questions, just if I just, on a practical level, wasn't understanding something. But when it came to uh, bigger interpretations of other ideas that were being presented or themes, he gave us, you know, a, an incredibly wide berth to, um, you know, um, uh, let, a, as you just mentioned, with, when it came to Carrie, you know, um, letting her or myself uh, interpret things as we wanted.
1: And I can brag on Justin because he won't, do it about himself, not only do I, do I think that you gave an incredible performance throughout the entire series, but in that final scene, obviously Carrie is incredible and the monologue is all hers and she's carrying a lot of weight, but I think that your performance I'm in that really scene was ve- was incredibly difficult because you not only have to hear the story for the first time having read the script, it's not like we... You know, withheld it from you and you were all methody about it but mm-hmm. Kevin's reactions to various parts of the story are critical and communicating to the audience he's confused by what she's saying he actually thought she chickened out he's like you changed your mind and so when she first says no I went through the expression on your face for almost the first part of her story you're sort of like "What? what is she even talking about and then, then it basically becomes something very emotional um, and without a word you're 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 saying to the audience if you're feeling the same way that i am i'm 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 pulling you into the way that the story is being perceived kevin becomes their proxy and i think that that scene never ever would have worked had you not given that amazing performance and i think listening that's that that to me is the separation between good acting and great acting um and uh like uh, again i
2: mean it's twofold one is you know um it's a compelling story um and also uh you know, too. I, 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 you know, it was. I hadn't seen it done. You know, so it, in, in that sense, I'm, I'm on a practical level, absolutely, the, sort of the, the the audience's proxy. But I'm also getting to watch this as an audience member. You know, sort of as Kevin, whatever, um, able to watch Carrie Coon give that performance, which was just stunning. You know, so it was. You know, it's like listening to a great piece of music. You know, you're going to be moved if the, if, if the music is good, and the music was very good, and the performer was very good. Um, and I'm I'm not trying to deflect the nice things that Damon has just aimed at me, but um, but it was uh, it was a I felt it was relatively easy if I could just sort of keep it in neutral and and let let her affect me. You know,
0: I will absolutely back up what Damon said because I think so much relies on your performance. I don't know how you got through that without cracking. How many takes did it take you to get through that scene?
2: I don't remember. I mean, because we work with three cameras. I want to say it was probably like, I mean, she did it. I remember thinking she did it perfectly on the first one. Um, And uh, I don't know what takes. I wasn't in the editing room, but I, I remember thinking we could easily walk away from this. And I think we did it maybe four or five times. She did
1: it start to finish three times, and then there were just a couple of pickups. Yeah. And... Um, And then I don't think the cameras were on you for the first one, even though you were obviously at the table and we had an Mm -hmm. over, and then we started filming your reaction as early as take two.
2: Yeah. I think, yeah, we scooted one camera. I think we kind of did a dueling over Mm -hmm. one part. Yeah, kind of a dirty. Swingles. Swingles, (laughs) yeah, something like that. But, yeah.
0: It's such a powerful thing between the two of you. I mean, when did you realize, Damon, that the story was going to end on um, Nora and Kevin's romance or their relationship?
1: Uh you never know how long a television series is going to last it's sort of you know it's 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 it starts to reveal you know where the finish line is as you're running it for a series of reasons that are both pragmatic in terms of like how many people are watching this and are the people going to who are making it going to continue to to pay for it um and then there's just like how much story energy is is there in this and i think that you know from early days, I always talked about the leftovers as a four season max kind of thing mm-hmm. and it ended up being a little bit less than that and I, I feel very um, uh, satisfied with I don't I don't feel like we left a lot on the field. like maybe if we had had 10 episodes in the final season, there were a couple of other things that we would have would have liked to do, but it, it was as complete as, as we could possibly make it. Tom's book, really, I think, focused on the Kevin and Nora relationship in a very interesting way and not a traditionally romantic way. But, for example, they do go to Miami in in Parada's book um, as sort of complete and utter strangers. And Miami is kind of a bust. Like the first day of it is lots of sex and, you know, and and wonderful romantic um, uh, sort of dalliance. And then it's sort of like, who are you? And then they come back from Miami and they just – drift away from one another and and then Nora is realizing i actually have feelings for this guy so she writes a dear john letter because she's going to leave mapleton that she's going to leave on kevin's doorstep and lo and behold the baby is there and the book ends with the same way that the first season of leftovers did which is look what i found she's holding a baby but she's saying it to kevin look what i found um this what you know what does the baby represent? Is she excited about the baby, or has she found some sort of uh, like sense? I always read it as Kevin, you know, because it's counterpointed with this idea that she's admitted her love for him. So I I saw the love story in Tom and Tom's text, and that was something that we very much wanted to chase. But until you actually watch the scene where Justin and Carrie see each other in the hallway for the first time. They're on the dais in the pilot as Nora is giving her speech. That's so hot. I mean, it's just yeah, like, so oh romantic. my god, the we were chemi- crackling yeah, with yeah, chemistry. it's just like get a get a room, you two. <laughs> uh, no. Oh, if anything turns right. me on, it's talking about your exactly. kids take being a riot ill to break up this relationship. Right, exactly.
2: Like, uh, but we didn't go that route. We just no. we, we we. But I do remember after yeah. we shot that scene, you were sort of you know crackling with excitement you were like that scene worked i mean you you had an expectation even that or that early on because you were like you know at a certain point you know where obviously uh laurie and the guilty remnant was not going to become my love interest in the show and i think you wanted to ground it you know ground at least one part of the show in a, in a love story um and i remember you being uh very giddy about the fact that that scene came off uh that, that we had some chemistry you know
1: yeah and there's a scene in guest where uh which is c- totally told from Nora's point of view and you see kind of what a mess she is yeah um and you only have one scene in that episode when you basically knock on her door yeah. and you ask her out and you admit that you're a fucking mess and yeah. uh and she says yes and it's sort of like oh right there's you know she's now basically gotten her hug from holy wayne and that's going to make her more available to this invitation yeah. but if we hadn't watched her go down that journey so I think look mm. I do think it's reductive to say that The Leftovers is a love story and it's only about Kevin and Nora but their love Definitely. story is representative of the of the of the search for human connection and so the idea is basically saying if these two can be together having gone through for Kevin incredible internal damage more, more the idea of He's broken on the inside, both literally and figuratively. Nora, Nora's damage is actually sustained by external events. Um, I think if the both characters had lost people in the departure, it wouldn't have worked. But somehow you kind of look at and say that in the puzzle pieces, you know, that this is the only way that they fit together. And I think that if the if these two people can find a way to be okay and be together, look I, when when we cut to black and the birds land, are Nora and Kevin is everything you know? Are that is it happily ever after as close to the leftovers can be? I think mm-hmm. that there's still going to be a struggle, but I will say they are more they are closer together in that moment than they ever have been. And the idea that they're both willing to be vulnerable, on, on, you know, on a bedrock of sort of belief and anger, what I love, and again. I, I haven't had the opportunity to say these things to, to Justin, and it's it's actually easier in front of other people with microphones
0: because
1: it gets uncomfortable. Otherwise, but <laughs> his, his closet scene, closet no one's listening. His that. scene, Fine. his scene before Nora's monologue is the most romantic thing that a man says to a woman. It's sort of like you know, it's John Cusack holding the radio over his head, but he's. Cursing and yelling, and he's angry. <laughs> but the things that he is saying are like basically, I've been searching for you all this time, and I haven't given up. It's a very romantic sentiment viewed through this very realistic emotional lens. And I think like that, you know, romance in the leftovers vernacular is messy, and that's why you know I I, I love. Ending on these two characters being together, but to just say it's only about Kevin and Nora is to devalue the importance of all the other characters all, on the show, the world of the
2: show, et cetera. One of the other things were, uh, that came out of that dinner, which we were, uh, you know, I hadn't really even thought of, was that there's not a lot of in the entire series, aside from that hallway scene and maybe asking her out on a date. There's not a lot of romantic scenes between them, and I kept going like, you know, what is the you know? You had a little dance. Well, we we <laughs> had a little dance, but we well, I mean, in in the finale we did, but in in the and most of our scenes together, just sort of in the, the everyday, as pedestrian as the leftovers, can be life of these two characters. It's you left the baby on the roof of the car. You know, like <laughs> I'm handcuffing you to a bed. Um, I get that shot was, in the that chest was by hot, yeah. <laughs> no, um, That was pretty
1: hot. Yeah. No, that one was pretty hot. It was kind of – but, yeah. I mean, it,
2: it was, point being is that, like, yeah. they were – for long stretches of time, sort of communicating through their mutual damage, which <laughs> is not the healthiest way to not build so a relationship. Which I thought was another sort of cle- not clever, a brilliant uh, piece of writing. Um, uh, you know, in that. You know they did you know they sent us off obviously in different directions um early on in the season and then you know it was only you know and she obviously had uh, the thing that she had to fill which was you know the, is she going to get inside this thing and try and see her family mine was you know am i going to go get rid of the thing in my inner life that is is completely preventing me from uh from from having any kind of hopeful uh, not just romantic but but uh loving and lasting relationship with someone. Um, because in a way, he does have the end of the, you know, his, you know he, he does go uh, back to Miracle or Jarden um, and uh, has, again, the accoutrement of everything that represents family except for this one huge hole in his heart, really, you know, which is Nora. People hold candles, Nora. People hold, it's one of my favorite lines that, in that script. We didn't make that up. You didn't? Somebody no. else invented the candle. I think, <laughs> El-
1: I think it was Elton John. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, candle the you way. only steal <laughs> from the best. Yeah. Exactly. exactly.
0: I mean, one of the most heartbreaking things is when he shows up at the door and then just flat out lies to her. How did you come up with that idea and why did you decide to, c- to go in that direction? Uh,
1: we had a problem in the, um, in, in the storytelling, which was it, – it, if you take Kevin's story at face value, at the end, and you and you have to, is basically he shows his, he shows this photo to the nun. She recognizes Nora. And then he basically lies in wait until he finds out where she lives because we know that the nun doesn't tell, but he asks around or whatever. And then he actually sees her, as he describes, I saw you. And he says, I, I didn't know what to do. And so in a traditional narrative, he just basically walks up to the door and pounds on it, and, and you, get this, you get the scene that is way at the end, which is, oh, my God, you've been alive all this time, and you are in isolation, and you never called me. And, you know, it's sort of... And how do you thread the needle of, I've been looking for you all this time because I miss you, but also, wow, there you are, and I have all these feelings of unresolved anger. And so um, we we were, we were kicking this idea around, and we're like, the episode will just end if he just goes up to her right then. And it was actually Patrick Somerville, who is one of the fantastic writers on the show amongst many, who pitched – he should just pretend to be someone else. He should just say like, you know, my name is Bill Johnson and I was traveling through Australia and I was like no I was like I love this idea that he's doing this bit, you know, but he should actually say, "Hey, I'm Kevin. We ran into each other a long time ago." And he just he just backs up to the last to the last moment where there was no friction between the two mm-hmm. because you know, even in the Miami courthouse scene, uh it it went very south because um because she invites him to Miami and Kevin sort of says, Oh, I, I gotta take care of my daughter and Nora's response is Fuck your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and and it gets and then they bo- and then they part ways. So he probably goes like probably shouldn't start there. Yeah. So let's just start at that one at the let's just start at the very beginning. Uh, that's a very good place to start, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, according to the song Do a Deer. And um <laughs> and uh and what and then we realize kind of on a really interesting storytelling level, the audience is on this is on this ride of they don't know where Nora even is at this moment. If we just cut from her getting into the ladder into this space, is she on the other side now? Has Kevin followed her through? Has he got some weird kind of amnesia? So you watch that scene and you may not like it because you're disoriented or you think like, you know, what is it that he's up to? It isn't until she calls Lori of all people and she validates Who's alive. Yeah, who's alive. (laughs) And she validates our response which is, what is Kevin doing? He's pretending like none of it ever happened, but she's doing it to someone who we think may be dead. And so you're actually going down the same, you're having the same emotional experience that Nora is, Mm -hmm. which is, you're confused and you're scared and you don't like it. Mm -hmm. And I think that when The Leftovers is functioning at its best, we we are trying to replicate the internal life of the character through the way that we're telling the story so that the audience is identifying with Nora, even though they don't, she He's, when, when Kevin shows up, talk about listening, Carrie's performance there. Mm-hmm. She's, all she says in that scene is, what are you doing and please go? Yeah. You know? yeah. And she's just like, you know what she's thinking, which is, what is he up to? But she's so in shock at seeing his face. Because um, in a traditional ro- romance, they would just hug and kiss and the music would swell and blah, 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 blah. That would have been the worst thing in the world.
0: But this is the leftovers and that's not what you do. That's not how
1: we roll. Never. <laughs> That's not how you As roll. the kids said. Exactly. As the kids said twenty years ago. <laughs> That's yeah, not how roll. I don't know what they say now. I was thinking
0: a lot about the reveal early on that Nora, I guess, was alive. But we knew that Nora existed. We saw that early on what was your intention there to sort of say that she existed but we didn't know in what realm she existed whether that was the other side whether that was departed that was just sort of a tease that we were going to find out later on
1: what do you mean Uh, when when she goes through with Matt
0: no in the beginning you know in the end of the first episode we saw her with the doves Uh so was that just sort of a hint and we were going to figure out later on
1: we wanted to communicate to the audience first off there's always an anxiety as you're approaching a series finale of what is it going to be you know like um And I kind of feel like Instead of getting spoiled by Trailers or teasers or whatever's Floating around online if a script leaks So let's just basically build it into the body Of the show and show the audience Where it is we're going to end up And in the context in which It's offered as we pivot off of Kevin about to burn the book of Kevin A nun asking Nora the question Does the name Kevin mean anything to you? You might even start thinking is Kevinism A thing in the future? (laughs) Like has he become Some kind of prophet? Like I don't know how to Contextualize this, but the emotional beat that we were trying to hit is Nora is older, and when she is asked if the name Kevin means anything to her, she says no, but she sure looks like she's lying. So we're saying to the audience, Fasten your seatbelts. This couple is going to break up, and she's going to end up in this place. And this place doesn't feel very good. And so we're going to have to get her out of this place. More importantly, Kevin's going to have to get her out of this place. So we telegraphed the finale. When you watch the premiere, so hopefully there's a little bit less anxiety as it approaches. And I was completely comfortable understanding. I didn't want our finale. If it's surprising, it's emotionally surprising. But the idea that we went into the future, no one is surprised by that because we showed you. And as someone um, who's been down this road before, trying to find that line where, you've, where you're giving away too much, but you're or you're or you're telling people it's going to be okay. Here's just a little taste of where we're going because you do need to brace yourself for the fact that this relationship is going to end. We want to prepare you for that. I think absent that scene at the end of the premiere, episode four feels a lot more out of left field because you're like, this fight in the hotel room sure feels like really abrupt. But because you know that it's a a point between the the two dots, um, it feels inevitable as opposed to unexpected.
0: This week's episode is brought to you by the acclaimed Warner Brothers television comedy Trial and Error for NBC. Entertainment Weekly called the show a gift from the TV heavens, and the Los Angeles Times said it was solid and funny, impressively cast. Even Alexander Hamilton loves it. Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda recently tweeted that he had just finished the incredible first season of Trial and Error and said, I know there is so much good TV right now, but damn, this is good. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. I want to talk about the follow-up to International Assassin. Um, it was <laughs> sort of the, certainly the most memorable episode of last season. When did you know that you were going to do a follow-up for this year? And, and Justin, what was it like for you to revisit that world again?
1: Uh, we knew very early on. I mean, I think that um, uh, it, it felt like it was something that we owed, not not just because um, – that episode was so well-received and it was sort of like, oh, we, people like that. We owe them more. It was more a matter of Kevin's time in that space was for Patty's benefit, actually. Like, he accomplished the mission of freeing her, but he did not really free himself. Like, down in that well, um, that was really about her, about him setting her free. And then, more importantly, we knew that there had to be a consequence. If you die and you come back to life like the in in all sort of popular fiction that, you know, the idea is like you owe something. Um, and so the idea that he needs to get back to that space largely, and I, I think as he emotionally conveys to Laurie, like he felt incredibly alive there because Kevin is a character who's been somewhat rendered powerless by the world around him. He's, in, in season one we first meet him and he's warning the mayor and the town the guilty remnant is basically this this force of antagonism and we shouldn't have Heroes Day and they just run roughshod over him and and he's reduced to hitting people with a stick. Um, he's trying to get Lori to come out of the guilty remnant he's unsuccessful in doing that but in the wor- in this world in the world of international assassin he's James fucking Bond you know he's Jason Bourne like but he's still Kevin he still had this has this interior emotional life so the idea of like him what what's it going to take to get him to go back there a he wants to go back which is why he's putting a bag over his head or he's engaging in what would otherwise be defined as suicidal behavior jumping into potentially poisoned um uh, water, etc. Um, so he doesn't fear going back there, but but he has to convince himself that he's going back for others. And so the entire season was basically sort of designing that Wizard of Oz construct where you know here's the lion wants courage, here's the scarecrow wants a brain, here's the Tin Woodsman wants a heart. Except in this case, it's a song from a from an indigenous. Um, uh, 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 sh- a shaman, and, or it's wear my kid's shoes, or it's I want you to give a message to Evie Murphy. Kevin doesn't have any more success than than Dorothy does because there is no man behind the curtain. He's just an asshole from Kansas. Nothing against Kansas, but the Wizard's kind of a dick, yeah. <laughs> you know. And um, and so. And then, and then he still has ten minutes left in the episode to answer the question that Christopher Sunday puts to him, which is then why are you here? And the answer is you're here to basically destroy this place so that you can't ever escape to it again. Because it's as long that, as you that, have one foot out the door, you can never be as you know, the last line of the series is
2: here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's that wonderful bookend too, which you know, both times that Kevin goes down there, he, you know, uh, has, is assumes is it he, down. Well, or, or sideways. Where yeah. is it? Yeah. Zigzag. He
1: says over. Yeah, over. You know, over there. The over I, like there. Over. Yeah, I like over there. Yeah, I
2: um, like over there. over um, there. you know he he you know his mission is is clear both times but it, it, it both times he goes you know when he shoots Patty the the, the president you know uh, he thinks you know all right now I'm going back up or over or to the other side. Um <laughs> Somewhere. Same thing in, in this one. He thinks as soon as he gets that song, you know, um, you know, he's going to be sort of zapped back up, you know, because that's sort of the promise of, of, uh, of, of, or that's sort of the construct that's been created. You know, even singing karaoke, that's what's going to, or he doesn't know how to get out of there, but he's told to do these things. Um, and that's what I love about both those particular episodes. You know, I didn't want to, you know, when he told me that it was coming down the pike, I didn't. I was like, well, I, OK, well, I want to make sure that it's it's we're not doing it for the sake of, you know, oh, this is an episode that people liked. Um, I, and I didn't it wasn't that I distrusted Damon thinking, oh, he's just going to do that. I knew there was going to be some other reason. But I was, you know, shocked, pleasantly surprised and very moved by uh, both reasons why I went You know, to have Patty as, you know, her literal inner child, you know, having to sort of be. Uh, you know, tended to, and then the shock of realizing that, oh, I'm there to actually help myself um, to, again, sort of, you know, kill what I keep calling my shadow self or my, my you know, my lesser self, um, and then literally sort of explode the place so I can't ever go back there. And um, it, and so it, they, they both totally felt, you know, but of course the fear is like, you know, we're going to, we're you know, we're just going to build the same car and run it off a cliff again, but you know, like I, I would was very happy that, that we didn't do that that, um, that gonna, each one we're going to two cars we're build two <laughs> cars
0: and, <laughs> and run them off the cliff
2: into each other yeah, and then you're going to find
0: the inventor it, of the car yeah. Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll also say that you know in early conversations with Justin we I did say we're going to go back to that space and I think that there's going to be two of you um, like so uh, it's the you know it's the sort of meta dream logic of of being at war with yourself but we have to do that in a kind of non-precious silly evil twin way where we, we – you are both of these individuals and we're tracking them subjectively. And then just, and, and Justin embraced the idea, but you did say to me, look, for all – like you mentioned John Lennon and Yoko Ono and you, and you essentially said, I just have this – the first question you asked is, is Anne coming back? Yeah. You know, and we had the same feeling about that too, which is we gave Patty such a graceful exit how you do know, we get her back? how do we yeah. get her back without lessening the, the the gracefulness of her exit? And the answer was, he was in service of her last time. Now she's in service of him, yeah. and, and he she can is, be in a little essence, bit sort of summons her. And as he summons well. her. That yeah. was the other answer. But you said, I just have an image of them both wearing white, walking down the beach. I think like Kevin joins the GR in this world, yeah. wow. and that was the origin of oh, we already had assassin is killing president, but now he brought in, in, you know, without pitching it directly, what if the President of the United States represents the guilty remnant party? Which of course he does because we set mm-hmm. up that they were a party in the last one. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly it felt like, oh, what if the GR is basically like running the country? Yeah. What on by the way. On what, <laughs> on yeah, this plane, they on what platform did they get elected? On the platform of we're gonna end the world for you, because yeah. isn't that what you want? Yeah. And you know, that is a little bit true to, yeah. to, to it dovetailed
2: to uh, so beautifully. And also, you know, Patty you know uh yeah it completely returns the favor by saying you know what do you want you know it's such a wonderful line you know and I say I want to go home and then she says you keep saying that but that's you know you know so in a sense she's sort of that young Ian shrink going like well let's dig a little deeper on that and she's a very aggressive Jiminy Cricket <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. a <laughs> <The> smoking <cruelest laughs> benign- white Jiminy Cricket yeah.
1: smoking cigarettes and
2: wearing white
0: it made me think – I remember when at the start of the season we were talking about how politics played into the writing of the season, you're, and you just saying to me, this is so absurdist, you're never going to believe it. And then I watched it, and I was like, all right, now I understand how it got so absurdist.
2: Yeah. It was one of the – I there remember we go. actually had a conversation on the phone when, when Trump was one of – 18 people on a stage and going like, and we were laughing about, like, you know, making a reference to President Trump. And you were like, yeah, I know, but obviously that's, <laughs> like it was one of those things. You know, it was like, we should at some point. Cognitive dissonance this, is a you know, powerful, powerful exactly. notion. Um,
0: Mimi Leader isn't here. But I think we're going to talk about her because she's not. Talk about what you brought to the scene. She's season. okay. Everything. She's okay. She's fine. Okay. Yeah. She's fine. No. <laughs> she's not, I didn't mean to sound fantastic. anything. She's not, she's not present in the room. She's she yes, not present not in the room. Debarded. But obviously she was a powerful creative force involved in the season. What did she bring to the table as a director?
1: Mimi came on midway through season one. She directed the fifth episode, mm-hmm. uh, which was very Kevin-centric. It involved the stoning of, uh, of Gladys, which was sort of like, Hey, Mimi, welcome to the show. We're going to brutally stone a woman to death. And I think that um, this isn't to say that Mimi doesn't challenge the material when it needs to be challenged, but the open arms in which she embraces it, her default position is, how can I make this work? Um, She's highly collaborative um, and, and incredibly passionate and tireless. And more importantly, The Leftovers is just like a thing that you get or you don't get. And that isn't to say that it's functioning in some intellectual space. And if you don't get it, you're lesser than it's just like, it's a very specific thing. It's like, you know, um, uh, there, there are foods out there that are just not for everyone, but for the people who like them are like, Oh, this food is delicious. Mimi just dialed into the show from the, from the word go. And so after she directed the fifth episode, we, we asked her to stay on and be a directing producer. And so I get the word, Showrunner foisted upon me because our media culture has basically decided that there has to be a front man for the band. Um, or front woman, uh, whatever the case is, but the but the pragmatic reality of the way that these television shows run is highly collaboratively, and all the shows that i 've been a part of have multiple showrunners On uh, lost you know Carlton and I shared that attribution, but I really believe that you know Mimi is a showrunner uh, on, on, on the leftovers and does the same job that all showrunners do minus the writing, but she does all the directing and supervises all the directors, so you can 't place a Place of value on the writing over the directing, but she but, also just toned it yeah. so
2: correctly. I mean, obviously, with you know, in meetings with Damon and Tom and uh, both Toms, and you know, she understood uh, exactly what you know what she, what her job was to dig out of these scripts. You know, which were dense, which were muscular, which were you know um, thought provoking. So she and and I should say we the, the entire crew was like that, down to A, B, and C camera operators, down to uh, uh, DPs, down to. Uh, costume designers you know everyone understood everyone kind of had some you know uh, sort of just gut instinct of what this show could be and that's a I think one of the rarest things ever which is everyone sort of singing in exactly the same key um, uh, in a way that that, that um, just made life so much easier in, in sort of execution um, and understanding the scripts and we talk about the scripts we talk about the scripts between takes we talk about them at dinners we talk about them over drinks um, so it was this sort of ongoing excitement that would happen, you know, in the shooting process. Um, and then even in the viewing process, you know, Chris Cuevas, one of our camera yep. operators, you know, was texting me immediately after the finale, going, oh my God, and this and that, you know, and he was even, you know, making suggestions, you know, uh, and not inappropriately going like, wouldn't it be cool if they didn't do this, but did the, you know, like, so there was a kind of excitement that abounded through, throughout the whole crew about making this show. And that was in, that was three different crews too. It was New York, Austin, and, and, uh, and Australia.
1: Yeah, all voices can be heard, all ideas are valuable, but then you need someone who basically says, this is the one that we're going with, and that person needs to be trusted. Leader, yeah. And, that, and you know, in all cases, that was Mimi. And I think that a lot of the times in our business, someone will direct a pilot. In our case, it was Peter Berg, and he did a great job, but he had no plans whatsoever to stay beyond the pilot. And, and he gets the executive producer credit, that, as do most directors of pilots, for as the the length of the show. But Mimi was not only directing, but she was also producing. So at any given time, you know, she has to worry about the budget and hiring and firing people. And she's getting – while she's directing her episode, she's approving wardrobe from the director who's going to be behind her's episode. And she's also
2: not – I mean not in a a sort of parental way, but actually in a parental way. She's sort of (laughs) shepherding those directors, um, you know, while they're – so while she's got plenty going on, she's also – you know, standing directly over the shoulder of our all of our guests, wonderful guest directors, um, when when questions arise and, and things need to be uh, tweaked. And to, in many ways, I'm you know kind of an absentee
1: dad, or at least a dad who is 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 a 1950s traveling salesman. Finally, we <laughs> <waited to> cry. <laughs> We've been yeah, right, <laughs> is, is a 1950s traveling salesman, um, but and and so I don't like to spend a lot of time on the set. Uh, because my my work is already done by time I got get to the set, so I'm just a, you know if, if I'm going to come down there for three days of of a director shoot, should I be sitting in Video Village giving notes? When they acknowledge that I wasn't there for the three days before, it it either runs without you or it doesn't. And the idea that the leftovers runs just fine without me doesn't challenge my ego whatsoever. It's the greatest thing ever because when I get the. We write, we spend a lot of time writing these things. I work very closely with Mimi and the directors on toning them. You know, I am involved in certain creative decisions and then I have to let go of it. And then it comes back to me. Uh, like three or four weeks later in the editing room, and it's transformed into this, you know, beautiful living, breathing thing that has been interpreted by others. And I get to shape it again, not back to what my original intention was, but now I get to let the show be what it wants to be. And I think that it's it's so emotionally important, but it's something that I never ever could have done in a billion years without Mimi.
2: And also, is a shockingly zen approach for a, a showrunner like Damon, um, you know, to. To release it to us and or to Mimi, you know, and and let her and all the other directors have at it was not a a, a process that I had been used to. I was made slightly uncomfortable in the first, you know, uh, in the shooting of the pilot. That I, you know, he was like, oh, I'll be in LA, you guys will be in New York, and I was like, well, you're not going to come to, you know, because most showrunners, I think, you know, like to sort of swagger on a set and go, I'm I'm the big cheese, and you know, and stand behind the monitor and sort I of picked whisper, the wrong
1: day to wear my I'm the big cheese. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cheese release.
2: Exactly. Um, but um you know so i mean even that was kind of jarring at the early on going like oh because you you are looking for that sort of father figure to sort of you know clap a hand on your shoulder and go don't worry i'm right here son you know and he was not that guy in a, in and a, then whisper in your ear up, i'll never be proud of you. <laughs> never, you'll never be exactly. as great as i am it's your fault Have at it. and action <laughs> yeah, yeah that's
1: that's my
0: so I put out on Twitter questions for re- asking for questions from readers, and I got one back that I wanted to read to you guys. Mm-hmm. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, sure. <laughs> <If> you-, <laughs> you know how I feel about Twitter. Sure. No, I know. I know how you do. That's why sure. I figured it'd be, yeah. <laughs> be be worried. If you had to choose one scene that, for you, encapsulated what the leftovers tried to do or was about, what would it be? And it came from the reader named um, one Maureen Ryan. Uh-
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Thank she- you. Uh. Oh man, <laughs> that's a tough one.
1: Uh you just have to say the f- kind of the first thing that pops into your brain because the more you think about it, the more yeah. the more scenes kind of uh get in there, but I, the, the first thing that popped into my brain was the scene between um, Nora and Erica in the middle of uh, season two, the lens scene, where it's sort of like, here are two characters who have both experienced a loss. They're both wrestling with how to process it. They're both blaming themselves. The metrics exist for them to say, you are a kindred spirit. Let's hug. It's not our fault. Or that's what you want them to say to one another. And instead, they put each other on blast and they're and the episode starts with Nora throwing a rock through Erica's window yeah. like a child and ends with Erica throwing a rock through Nora's window, window because she knows that she did it. Like, I just kind of felt like when I saw that scene for the first time, I was like, this is, be- this is what it is to be human. Like,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: we should be hugging. Instead, we're, we're fighting. And, yeah. man, I really hope that we can, you know, get a third season of this so these women can hug each other. But they haven't gotten there yet.
2: Yeah I, I mean I, um, I If we're going with The first idea That flashed in my head And maybe it's Because it's the most recent That the the Matlib scene With Nora um, Or Christopher Eccleston And Carrie But Christopher Eccleston In particular Gives just such a stunning performance Because it's sort of the It's he It's the first time Where he Is expressing Any sort of um, Not loss of belief But doubt And, and the fear of Where he just basically Cops to and says I'm afraid You know Um um, and um, it's that kind of conversation you can only have with your a, a loved one, a close one. You know, he's afraid of death. He knows he's dying. He feels like a fraud and a phony going in front of his congregation and saying, you know, uh, I have all the answers when he clearly doesn't. I mean, it, it, it sort of hopscotches across. That one conversation sort of hopscotches across a lot of the 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 what I think are the, the themes uh, of our show, um, which is – again that sort of that human condition of going you know um you know i'll you know in in public say i know exactly what's going on but in private um i have to have this conversation um and obviously there's a fuse on matt um that that will quickly expire and and i just thought it was just an incredible scene
1: i get a bonus one now though because (laughs) the the uh, as justin was talking particularly about matt one of my favorite scenes if not one of my my favorite scene of the entire series outside of the karaoke scene which is its own thing is in, at the end of season one kevin calls matt for help and they you know they, they they're relative strangers i mean matt's a friend of the family but the fact that kevin turns to a man of god when patty is dead in the cabin and they're then they bury her and matt insists that they eulogize her mm-hmm. um in the same way that you know in this scene that justin just talked about it is it's an offbeat matt libs uh, eulogy. We're gonna make those, Matt Libs, By the way, just for oh, like, good. but instead of like a day at the beach, it's more like your pet died. <laughs> or, like, or here's a eulogy, like all, just in the spirit of the leftovers. Exactly. But but Matt basically hands Kevin a Bible and forces him to read, and the text is already written. But Kevin has this incredibly intense emotional response to the reading of the text, and this idea was so worked so well that we did it. In all three seasons, the the idea of forcing Kevin to read something someone else has written, that's Homeward Bound in season two. And in season three, it's the romance novel. Mm -hmm. So the idea that he has to read a thing that he is like, this means nothing to me. It's a text that means nothing to me. But in the recitation of it, um, it suddenly becomes something. You know, again, usually uh, you know, kids- I'll never say to y- this to you unless microphones are present. But <laughs> it's just, you know,
2: it's just a tremendous performance yeah. in all three instances because okay. you, you make it your own. But, Thank again, you. it's that also that thing of, you know, Kevin never – he's not the most inwardly looking guy in that respect. You know, he's, he's one of those guys that gets – the outside forces are constantly batting him around, and he's just trying to keep his balance and, and avoid the vertigo of – of everyone else's actions um and so uh it takes three other people to force something into his and and put a, literally put words in his mouth for him to have sort of a uh, any kind of epiphany surrounding it.
0: You've obviously created this incredible creative team. Um are you guys going to work together again? What's next for no, all of you? never. Again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this is it. This is the breakup. Like I said. This is the, the, break- is the therapy session. Exactly. This is it. We're done. I can We're only done. say this in front of a microphone cuz <laughs> I don't want to.
2: No. Um look i think it's it's one of course if damon ever called me I'd, i would uh, i would i would i would jump and be excited but i think you know it's it's only fair uh, in all a lot of creative relationships to when someone's dug this and taken this deep a dive on material to uh not do that thing where you go uh, please uh, uh, can we because i know we're not going to recreate this um, and also it's, i think it's unfair to, to uh, at least, even try and place a handcuff on someone and go. Uh, you know, um, I'd really love to. Uh, you know, because I think he deserves and has the right to go work with um, a ton of other people and uh, uh, people. You know, far afield from here. So you're passing
1: on my privilege. I, I that was to me boot. passing Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I believe. Not, not cornally so, but genuinely that you know that we are going to work together in, in some permutation um, down the road. But I also feel like a period of time away from each other is critical because I don't think that I'd be capable of writing a character for Justin or Carrie or Kevin Carroll or Regina King or any of the uh, Christopher Eccleston that, that would be clean. Of the the characters that they portrayed on The Leftovers Until I see them do some other work And I, I will say Carrie is phenomenal on Fargo But it is almost impossible for me to watch Fargo And just let her performance be what it is Because mm-hmm. the space in, in which I worked with her was so recent And so if I can't see her as Gloria Burgle then how could I ever create another character for her? And so I feel like I'm looking forward to all these actors, and you know, what what movie is Mimi going to direct next? That has nothing to do with me. That will allow a more pure expression of their own art before we kind con- and then for me to go and do something entirely different and cycle back. It was really important to me that none of the actors from Lost um, uh, appear on The Leftovers because. You know, that it it is almost in a way breaking the, the fourth wall of saying like, you know, if Matthew Fox just plays a character on The Leftovers, what's the meaning of that? You know, there was I at, at one point when Nick and I were writing International Assassin One, and Kevin is in pursuit of the guy carrying the balloons, presumably to Mary Jameson's room. I was like, "What if he just walks by a room and like Matthew Fox is sitting in there crying?" <laughs> like, and I was like, "That would be the worst thing ever imaginable in a thousand years because it's you're winking at the audience. It's why I would never want to do a cameo in my own show because well, it takes you out. Well, I may I may have been. A, a, a I may have been bear. the koala bear that Kevin asked for directions to the Melbourne Library, but, <laughs> but will he will neither, never confirm. He'll never he will confirm, confirm. Yeah. nor deny it. Anything's he heard it here possible. first. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. But, you know, I well, had, you would, if it were me, the, I would have had to go method and then get chlamydia and be Exactly. be very aggressive. <laughs> exactly. this is, we've talked Although about I will koalas say and you chlamydia very before. No, what? tell you, me. Koala bears just, like 50% of the no, koala. No, I think
2: the, the numbers are even higher. Oh, it's, of, an uh, yeah, it's an epidemic. Yeah, it's an epidemic. Let's just say
1: 70% of the koala population. Let's say 99%. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> and 98%. then the podcast
0: took a turn. If, if you yeah. run
1: into a koala bear, the chances I are know. good that it has chlamydia. chlamydia. do not have sex with it under any circumstances or let it bite you or scratch you. And they're mean you know
0: public service message yeah. thank you well on that note <laughs> I don't yeah. even know on chlamydia to
1: say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you right exactly hashtag for your consideration <laughs> for <new> consideration hashtag <laughs> chlamydia
2: so yes yeah. no chlamydia right. right exactly the more you know yeah exactly let's get that google search for the leftovers
1: koala chlamydia exactly, rocking
2: and rolling. exactly. come on twitter we believe the in the domain you. name
0: well thank you guys it's been a pleasure and congratulations again on a great finale the pleasure thank is all you. ours thank
2: Thanks you very too. much
0: Listening to today's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking about Sneaky Pete with Star Giovanni Ribisi. See you next time. This week's episode is brought to you by the acclaimed hit comedy The Big Bang Theory from Warner Brothers Television for CBS. Entertainment Weekly gives Big Bang an A+. TV Guide Magazine calls it classy and hilarious. Glamour says, how has this show not won an Emmy in 10 seasons is beyond me? And USA Today asks, do the people who say there aren't any funny sitcoms anymore watch Big Bang? For your Emmy consideration in all categories.
2: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.